0: Hey, send it. Week one. I want to uh, open us up uh, with uh, the theme verse for the series is in Second uh, Timothy chapter one and verse seven. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, who was kind of like a, he was a mentor to Timothy and helped him out and all, all these types of things. Won't get into a lot of that detail right now. But 2 Timothy uh, chapter one and verse seven. And I'm going to give you seven and eight because I think it's really important for us this morning and where we're going. It says this, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Let me me say that again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but what he has given us is of power, love, self-discipline. Another translation will say sound mind. He's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. So, the linchpin, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, meaning Paul, either though he's in prison, he's in prison for him, with the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. God has not given us a spirit of fear. In this series, send it, we're going to be talking about risk. We're going to be talking about, you know, being bold. And I know some of us, maybe we're even sitting here right now, if we're going to be honest, and we are sitting in a space of fear. But God's word tells us that he's not given us a spirit of fear. So where does that come from? The, the fear that we're holding on to, the thing that's just like holding us back. That's what fear does, right? It makes you hesitate. It makes you want to take the step, but I'm just not so sure, so I'll back away. It holds you back from the plans and the purposes of God more than anything else. At least in my, my life, it's held me back the most. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, here's what I want to let you know is that you were not created to have that fear that you're holding on to. In fact, we see this look in with me in Genesis. This is in the creation story. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, and verse 25 tells us that Adam and Eve were naked. That's pretty fearful. I'm just saying, I'll keep moving. They were naked. It's the 10 o'clock crowd, you never know. They were naked, but they felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. Shame is when you have this fear of something that you've done or something about who you are that you project on yourself that other people are thinking about you. They were naked and they felt no shame. They didn't have that kind of fear. Why? Because they didn't do anything yet. They had nothing to hide from. They were who they were. And that's how we were created, to be who we are. Not to live in this fear, not to live in the what-ifs and all the things that we battle on a day-to-day basis. We were not given that spirit of fear that we have. No, 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 we've been given power, love, and self-discipline. We weren't created to live behind closed doors. We were created to live free, open, shameless lives so how do we get to where we are the rest of the story in Genesis it talks about the creation of things sure and then it talks about the fall and when Adam and Eve they had this desire to be like God they didn't like who they they want to be like God and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and next thing you know their eyes were open they realized what was going on and then they hid. And before this, God's like, hey, where are you? Hey, where, where are you at? Where are you right now? And their response in Genesis chapter three and verse 10 says, he answered meaning Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Created, naked and no shame. Fear enters in the world with sin. Now I'm naked and I'm afraid. And so I hide. And that is where all of us at many times in our lives find ourselves afraid. And so then we hide. We sit in these spaces and places hoping nobody recognizes what's going on in our our lives. We weren't created this way. But that's the way that we find ourselves in with the guilt and with the shame that began in the garden, so deeply rooted into our lives now, so deeply rooted into our anxieties and our depressions and the what ifs of the world. The fear that we're talking about is not the holy fear of God. I'm not gonna go all into that today, but that kind of fear is fear that's a reverence and an awe of who he is. The creator of the world knows you by name. There's a holy fear that's, that's, that's a good fear to have. I'm not talking about that kind of fear today. We're talking about the fear that holds us back. The Bible tells us in John ten ten 10, that, that Jesus said, I've come to give life and life to the fullest. And we love that verse. We can chant that verse. We can tat it on our arms. But what does a full life look like? It doesn't look like a life that's hid with fear and shame. In guilt, it's a life that's free from it all, free from the shame, free from the guilt, free from the fear. I know that for many of us, sometimes myself included, it's not how we show up to church on Sunday. We show up to church battling so many things, fearful of, of so many things that are in our lives and it keeps us back from living this bold life. And that's what this whole series is about. So, hey, if you find yourself in that place today, can I encourage you, just keep coming back over these next few weeks, get here. I encourage you, it's gonna be amazing. Let's, what if the breakthroughs that we just sang about was actually for you? I believe it can be, and I believe it will be. So we can identify the fear in our lives and what do we, you know, by what we do and sometimes by what we don't do, right? You can identify what's going on, but we're gonna talk about taking some risks. We're gonna talk about living in, in the light of, of what God would want us to live. And we're not just gonna take risks for risk sake. No, we're taking risks by not hesitating on the grounds of what God would want for us. Come on, you guys ready to, to leap and then look? You know what I'm saying? We got to risk it to get the biscuit. Come on, somebody. Like we're going we're gonna to get out there and make some things, some things happen. Are you guys ready for the word today? That was just my intro. So we ready to go. Let's pray first. God, we come before you. We thank you, um, God, for uh, just this opportunity to worship you in this place. We thank you, God, for this church and this light that is in the city that is just coming from this place. We thank you for the opportunities that we have. We don't take it lightly, God, and so we ask that you would change us today. Would you uh, show us, God, where you want us to break through? And Father, I pray that we would not leave here in the same way that we showed up today, that would be encouraged, God, that we would to to, to live in a bold way, a life that is life to the fullest. We love you, we worship you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, today, if you're a title person for notes and things like that, um, the title you can write down is Left or Right. Left or right. Some of you just got fearful that we're gonna be talking politics. Let's just be real. Just because I said I, I said directional things and we went there, right? Didn't we? We just went there. We all probably did in a moment ago. Left or right. I, I don't know if you know this. Maybe I've shared this with you before, but about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, my wife Kelsey and I, we brought home a surveillance system and security system for our home. And what we've discovered that this is amazing surveillance system, security system that we have, it actually reveals to us how we live. It's pretty cool, right? So what, what do I mean by that? Well, like I say some things and then thing you know this, my daughter, Nora, says the same thing I just said. She points what I pointed at. She twists the cap on things the same way I twist the caps on, right? Like, it's crazy. Like that's the surveillance system that we have. And why does she do those things? because she's learning and it's cute. And she has no idea. And so if I'm doing it, she wants to do it more. Actually, if Kelsey's doing it, she wants to do it, right? She taps her lip the same way, right? Like when she's thinking about something, I'm like, how do you know that you're a year and a half, right? And we, we laugh, we think it's cute. It's all those things, right? It's, it's such a joy it's, and it's everyday. And I feel like it's ramping up. Like some of you are actually sitting with your surveillance system right now, which is pretty cool. You, you have one too, same, Same discount, same, you probably got it from the same place. So, um, okay. Rabbit hole. Why does that matter? Um, why did I even say that? I want to encourage you today and not just today, but every day. I want us to look at how cute that is that the little kid is learning from us. Can we view scripture in the same way that this is not just an old text This is not just some ancient words that, oh, wow, that that sounds cool. But I can actually read this and, and learn from it in such a way that I can then mimic what it's saying. Are you with me? Can we view Scripture that way today? In a sense that we're going to look back at something that happened not yesterday. But we're actually going to be able to learn it and to apply it into our lives today. And so we can, we can discover that. And that's, that's the beauty of the written word of God, the absolute truth of the scripture that we have, that we can learn in such a way today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in 1 Kings. If you have your Bible, you can uh, flip to there. It's the 11th book of the Bible, if that helps. If it doesn't help, it's in 1 Kings. It's before 2 Kings, um, which would be the 12th book. So Anyways, and we're going to be in chapter uh, 18, and let me give you some context of who we're learning from today and a little bit of maybe why and the situation at hand as you flip there, and if you have your phone and you're already there. Nice. So we're learning from the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. What's a prophet? A prophet is somebody who learns, or or, sorry, hears a word from the Lord and then delivers it to a people group. In some situations, that person is warning them of, hey, you're living like a crazy person. Don't do that anymore, or else, The judgment that's going to happen to you is really just going to be your fault. So sometimes it's a warning. Sometimes it's like, hey, this is going to happen. It's going to be really cool. We're going to be able to take that land, that kind of thing. So that's just like a really Will's version of what a prophet is, just to kind of set our mind on what that is. So prophet Elijah is who we're going to learn from today. He's in this situation in the text that we're going to read in chapter 18. Uh, there's a king. His name is King Ahab. King Ahab is one of the most wickedest, evilest person that has ever walked the face of this planet. Um, And I can say that because the Bible says it. So I just echo what it says. And so he's an evil person. And then he married somebody who was also evil. And you can learn a lot about how you are by the person that you marry. There's a (laughs) marriage series is coming up. I'm going to just jump around that that rabbit hole there, but an evil woman named Jezebel. And let me tell you why she was evil is because she hated God and she hated God's people. And to the point where she persecuted and she also killed them and had other people do the same. Like she was, that's the kind of person we're talking about. So Ahab marries this person and then in the same context, devotes himself to worshiping these false gods that this Jezebel, his wife wanted, uh, Things to be the, the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Okay. So King Ahab is evil and he encounters the prophet Elijah and in, in verse or chapter 17, you can go back and read that, but it talks about Elijah says, Hey, uh, because of the way that you guys are living, there's going to be a drought and the drought um, there's going to be a severe drought. So we know water, nothing like that. And it's going to happen until I say there's no more drought. And that was the warning. And, and then now we're picking it up here. In verse, uh, In verse 17, verse 17, first Kings 18, you with me? Cool. It says, when he saw Elijah, he, Ahab, uh, he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've have abandoned the Lord's commands. You've followed the Baals, aka Ahab, your idolatry, the way that you live, the way that you have other people live is what's caused this three and a half year drought that we're in right now. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So this happens, okay? Elijah's like, hey, bring these people, let's go. It's going down right here, right now. And so then that occurs. And we're gonna pick it up in verse 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? The literal translation of this is like, how long will you go between two forks? Meaning if there's a fork in the road, right, it's what, left or right? You can't go left and then, oh no, I wanna go right. Just choose one, left or, or right. And why, why he's saying that is because they're mixing this worship of Baal with the worship of God at the same time. They're like, oh, well, well, Baal likes it this way and God likes it this way. Let's blend them together. That doesn't work. It's left or it's it's right. And I, I love what Elijah says here. And this is a word today as well. It says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. It's like, hey, just choose one, right? But the people said nothing. Come on, silence is beautiful. Then Elijah says to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. The Baal has 450 prophets, which this is a little bit of an exaggeration uh, because prior to this, there's this guy Obadiah who served and worked with the king. Ahab, he actually hid hundred prophets. You can find that in scripture just above this. Uh, hit hundred prophets and fed them and took care of them, that kind of thing. But what, what Elijah is saying is, I'm the only one right here right now. I'm in a situation where there's, hey, maybe like a room full like this, there's 450 of these people and it's just me. I'm the only one here. So he's pointing out the obvious context of the situation at hand, 450 to one. He says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut into pieces and put under the wood, wood, but not set fire to it. I'm gonna prepare the other bull and put on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord the God who answers by fire, he's God. And all the people said, what you say is good. So what do we find? We find that Elijah is calling out these prophets for the ways that they live. Now, who, who is Baal? It's probably important to kind of have an idea of, of what this is. Baal was this Canaanite God of fertility, of prosperity. And the kind of worship, as I mentioned, was just was, this is the kind of worship they were trying to mix. Like the worship maybe that we just did, they're trying to mix with worship of like prostitution, child sacrifices. You can see the evil and the terrible things that, that, that's going on here, right? They would have these orgies and drinking parties. Like they would just indulge in everything possible and then try to also mix in praise with worship of, like we do. Not gonna work, right? And so it, it calls them out. He's like, listen, you, you can't do this. You, you gotta choose one. If you're gonna follow Baal, okay, follow Baal. But if you're gonna follow God, hey, follow God, just choose one. And I think that that's such an interesting thing for us because I think we can also sit here and we can say, hey, and I could ask you this and say, is the Lord your God? Or is something else your God? And I think you can actually identify maybe where you might have some lacking in that based on what you tolerate based on what you sacrifice on the altar of, it's not that bad. My drinking is not that bad. My, my indulgence in all this, it's, it's not that bad. But, but you're becoming, it, you're, it's becoming a God because you're relying more on that than maybe you are on God. Are, are you with me? It's it, One or the other, choose. You, you got we gotta choose. So we're mixing this kind of worship. So verse 25 Let's keep going. It says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there's so many of you, call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given they took the bull given them, and prepared it. Then they called in the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. And just like they had no response earlier, there was no response. No one answered. And they then they danced around the altar that they made. And at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them, which I think is so cool. He's like, shout louder. Surely he is God. Just, maybe you just need to raise your voice a little bit more. Maybe he's in deep thought. Like, how great of a comment is that? Maybe he's busy. Hey, maybe he, he took that cruise. He's on a cruise ship, the Mediterranean cruise. He's doing that right now. Maybe that's why he's not listening to you. Maybe he's traveling. How about this one? Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah is just like, come on, people. You guys can dance. You can do all these types of things, but it's not doing anything. Why? Because he's not real. And so in verse 20, it says, they shout louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears because this was the custom. Okay until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying till the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So all this craziness is going on. And Elijah's just sitting there like, could you imagine like watching this happen? Like, okay, what are you guys? Why are you dancing like that? Like, why are you yelling the things you're yelling? Why are you cutting yourself? Like, the, if your God needs self-harm, I would say it's not God. You know what I mean? And, and this is, there's a lot of things I love that Elisha says in this passage. But in verse 30, he says to all the people, he says, come here to me. I just think that's so cool. Like all the craziness that's going on, he's like, all right, come here. Come here. Let me, come to daddy. Like, let's make it happen, right? <laughs> and so they, they came to him And now I want you to circle, underline this, whatever in your scripture. And it says that he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. So he says the most savage come to me ever. And they're doing these tricks, these dances. They're thinking, man, if I can just, I'll get the algorithm right and God will show up. I'm gonna do all these types of things. And if I get it, if the sun's just the right way, right? If I touch this little thing on my way out, then, then we're going to be okay. If I, they're trying to boil everything down to this like specific code, this sequence, for some trivial thing that their God should be able to do. But the reason why he can't is because he's not real. He's not real. And this is a bold thing that we see Elijah doing, right? Like he's. He's challenging these people. He's got every, all these witnesses are around and he's just showing up like, all right, you guys are crazy. You you need to choose one, but you're crazy. So don't choose the one you're thinking of choosing, right? Like, and we can look at that and be like, man, that's so bold. I could never challenge all those people. I could never do all those things. But at at the sake of sounding like, like I'm the most bold person in in the room, which I don't think that I am, although I, do do some crazy things, but for me and in my life, and, and I would say probably would be the same as true for you. Most of your boldness is probably the small things. For me, like the boldness is just doing what I said I was gonna do. It's owning, hey, we made a mistake. You know, I thought we had things ready to go. We didn't, that's on me. I'll take that. That's, that's boldness. It's a small thing. It doesn't look like shouting out at people, sure. It doesn't look like challenging these false prophets, sure. But that's pretty bold for me to be able to own a mistake, right? Because a lot of times we don't own the mistake. Why? Because of fear. I'm gonna lose my job if I own that. So I'm gonna sacrifice other people. Let them lose their job. Let them figure it out. And so the boldness looks like just doing the little thing. Hey, just being even more real in the last week or so, some boldness for me looked like before going to bed, just holding my wife's hand and praying and just taking that step and just be like, man, I screwed up today. And I said some things I shouldn't have said. I reacted in ways I shouldn't reacted. And so look, can we just pray together? That's a bold step to take, to know that that's not the way that things should be. That it's not the, how things, so we're praying about our future. We're praying, like we're just taking the small step. And that's a bold step to take is the small one because that's what builds upon when the big things are time, it's time to come. So I asked you to to highlight, circle, whatever Elijah rebuilds the altar. This is important to understand why he had to rebuild something because I think for a lot of us, myself included, there are many times where we're just so focused on the what's next that we start building upon good things onto bad things that the foundation of what we're trying to build on needs to be completely removed and so he rebuilds the altar because he knows that the Lord his God our God deserves the best does not deserve to be mixed have any inclination of anything that is evil he doesn't want any of those that that wicked ways that they're trying to do things no no I want a clean house And so he rebuilds it and he rebuilds it and he talks about the the stones that he brings in, which representing the faithfulness of God and the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's bringing in this remembrance as well as he's he's doing it. He repairs the altar because he doesn't want to mix things. He wants to make sure that this is going to be for God alone. I'm not going to have a little bit of both going on. So he rebuilds it. In fact, if you read, he stacks the deck against them. He They're in the middle of a drought and he brings in water (laughs) and he like pours it all over stuff. Builds these trenches, all this kind of stuff. If you want to start a fire, even by a chance of like spontaneous combustion, you probably don't want water. I'm not a scientist. Maybe if you're a scientist, you know that like, oh yeah, you could actually do that. But I tried lighting a fire one time in my house in our fireplace and the wood was a little bit wet. And about 15 minutes later, I'm like, yeah, we're just gonna use the TV fireplace. I'm gonna YouTube a 12 hour video of smooth jazz and the couches and all that kind of stuff, right? Because it's just not going to, so he's stacking the deck against him. And this is his bold move. I, I would submit to you that the boldness of Elijah wasn't him challenging those prophets as much as it is in these next few verses. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah, he steps forward and here it is, and he prayed. You wanna what the boldness of Elijah is? He prayed. And it's not just that he prayed, but it's how he prayed. It says, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Boldness is in the prayer, but it's also in the language of the prayer. How much did Elijah talk about himself and what he was trying to prove? Not much. He's like, hey, I'm your servant. I'm just doing what you commanded me to do. Will you answer me? That's it. All of his focus is on, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known that what's about to go down right now ain't about me, it's all about you. You are the one turning hearts back to God, not me. The boldness that happens is when we take our eyes off of ourselves in prayer and we focus in on who God is. Just be a nobody. Focused in on one person of Jesus. That's the boldness of his prayer. And here's what happens. It says, the fire falls. The fire of the Lord fell. He burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench, this all-consuming fire. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It's the boldness of Elijah. What have we learned so far? What can we watch and read? Like how Nora just learns everything from Kelsey and I, like what have we learned so far about boldness And about what we can take from Elijah, here's what we've discovered. Just a couple things I want you to write down is this, is that just like Elijah, we need to face the fear. The fear of the situation, the fear of the circumstances. I mean, Elijah had to take an action. He had to step up and into the situation where he was completely outnumbered. He had to, if if he wouldn't have done that, then what would have happened? The rest of the story would have been pretty weird to read if Elijah wasn't there. He had to step up and into it. And let me encourage you with this. You will undoubtedly be in situations where the situation is fearful. Right? What's our fearful situation right now? Uh, Sharing my faith with a coworker. What's a fearful situation for you? I I wanna invite my family to church. I wanna pray before dinner. I wanna pray out loud. Can we be real? Those are real fearful things that we face, right? The situation can be fearful, but the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear. Situation, external. Spirit, internal. So how you walk into that fear is going to determine what the situation will happen. Elijah wasn't walking into there with nothing in his back pocket, if you know what I'm talking about. He, he knew the Lord. He knew the scriptures. He knew what God has already done from and th- in and through him. He knew the miracles. He knew the promises. He knew what was going on. So he was walking in that situation like, let's go. I know my God because I don't have a spirit of fear. Although the situation around me may look terrifying, but I don't... I don't got a spirit of fear. I'm going to step right up and step right into it. Listen, fearful situations are always going to be opportunities for us to have a deeper reliance on the Lord. Always. And we have to face it. We step into it. But like I said, Elijah wasn't going in there empty handed, if you will. He didn't have an empty spirit, why? Because he was doing the next thing that we learn from Elijah is that he stood on the truth. We need to stand on the truth. Elijah wasn't going in there with dances and and if I play my Uno cards just right, I'm gonna get this and if I just touch it just a little bit. No, 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 he was going in there with the truth of God's word in his heart and in his spirit and that spirit was not a spirit of fear but it was of confidence. It was a boldness that didn't matter who he was going to face. Didn't matter what they were going to say. I'm stepping into that place. And so when you want to share your faith with a coworker or the family member, what are you walking into the situation with? If you're fearing, feeling fearful, maybe it's a moment to even just take a second to pray by yourself before you have that conversation. Maybe if you're driving into work, and you're like, today's a day. Joe's coming to the Lord. I'm going to invite him to church. All those types. Put on that worship song. Maybe you just need to, to, to fill yourself up before you step into that fearful situation, standing on the truth of what God's word is. Can I ask you, what truth are you standing on? Is it your truth? Because your truth. It's not very good. It's not. Cuz your truth changes. God's word, the absolute truth of God's word does not change. So what are you putting yourself into? What are you what's your input? What are you consuming in this space? Is what's the truth that you need to hold? onto because the truth that I know is that God is a God of compassion and of comfort. And although he shares with us in our suffering, guess what? He also shares with us in his glory, that we have a God that our help comes only from him. And so we can go to him. That's the truth that we can stand on. A God that his word says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I go before you, I go behind you, I go beside you. Though I have affliction, Yet will I trust in you, Lord. What truth are we standing on? What are you hiding in your heart to walk into that situation? Can we stand on that truth that God loved you so much that he knit you together in your mother's womb that he knows everything, the beginning and the end and everything in between. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. You're afraid of being alone? Guess what? You're not alone. God's right there. You're afraid of missing out on God, guess what? Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. You're afraid of the temptation that's gonna happen, guess what? Resist the enemy, turn to the Lord, and therefore be filled with the Spirit. What truth are you standing on? You can face the fear with that truth. An interesting piece of the story that we learned from Elijah, and I'm not gonna give you all the scripture on there, I wanna encourage you to go and read. Take a little bit of it for yourself. But as you continue to read in the story, the fire falls, Elijah removes all the prophets, they're gone, and he goes back to Mount Carmel. He goes up to the top and he falls down, face in between his knees in prayer. And he just starts praying. And a truth that we need to be reminded of today and an action that we need to be reminded of today in boldness is we can't just be bold in one moment. We need to, what? Go again. Go again. Stand on your truth again. Go one more time to the Lord. When you feel like giving up, hey, can I encourage you? Go one more time. Come back to God in prayer after the victory. Go back to God again after the defeat that you feel defeated to see where the victory actually lies. He goes back to God and he's in prayer and he looks to his servant and he's just like, hey, see if there's a cloud. Servant goes, comes back. Hey, Elijah, no cloud. All right, go back again. Seven times. Just go back and look. And he comes back and he's like, hey, there's a cloud and it's the size of a man's fist. So Elijah is in prayer after amazing victory of removing evil, a, a portion of the evil rather. But he goes to God again, but why? Because remember there was a severe drought over the land. So Elijah had a, an immediate victory but he knew that there needed to be a blessing that would come through after the evil was removed. And that, that cloud was gonna be the blessing that was gonna wash over the land. Not seen if he doesn't go again. Elijah was the one who said, if, when it, the drought's gonna end when I say so. And He knew he needed to say so. So can I encourage you? Hey, you were in a small group last year wasn't really sure hey go again try another one out hey you want to see what God is going to be doing in and through your life go to explore try it out go again you, you maybe you tithed before and you're like yeah but then this happened whatever hey tithe again hey give an offering again invite someone to church again share your faith again pray again Read God's word again. You read it through all the way last year. You don't need to read it again this year. Oh yes, you do. Read God's word again. We face our fear with the truth that we're we're holding on to and we just keep going back and back and back to the Lord. Can I encourage you? In boldness, can we not be so... Saved and so timid at the same time. To live in such a bold way that we can say, you know what, God saved me and it wasn't just for my safety. It was so I can exercise my faith and do something with what he gave me. To go again. Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna respond to God and worship in just a moment, but I wanna take a moment and just pray. To come to God, in boldness, in the throne room of grace, and to say, "God, will you give us that spirit of courage?" And so, would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we come before you. We thank you, God, for the minutes, these moments that we've been able to share together. Father, I pray that maybe today, even as Elijah was asking that question to those prophets, and it's the same question that you are asking us today. That how much longer will we go in between these multiple things? Father, I pray right now for every person in this room who has called you Lord and savior of their life, that they would live in such a way that that would be so evident in their life, that it would be such a bold life, not for boldness sake, but for your sake. Father, we know you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us a spirit of love and of power and of self-discipline and to not be ashamed of sharing the good news of your son, Jesus. So Father, I pray right now for a boldness to fall over this church and all over online. Father, right now, there are those that are, their bold step was showing up to church today, giving you one last shot. So Father, I pray right now for those people who are making decisions. You prompted their hearts. You've been saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And in this moment, Lord, there are people that are turning their hearts to you to say yes to your son, Jesus. What does saying yes to Jesus means? It means believing that what he did and who he died for was for you. To pay for your sins. Who's Jesus? He's the perfect son of man and God. And he came into this world not to point fingers, not to cast shame or guilt on you, but to redeem you to have a right relationship with the Father. Because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, we too can have that new life. That our altar can be rebuilt in this moment, built upon the foundation of Jesus. So can we pray as a church, encouraging those in faith, making that decision this morning. Let's pray this all together. Jesus, today, I give you my life. I turn from my ways, and I choose to follow you. Today, Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior, and it's from this moment forward, I choose to follow you. And it's with all that I am, it's in your name I pray.